Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we are going to be reviewing Wes Anderson's latest film, Asteroid City. Okay, Sarah, you are probably so excited for this episode. Before we dive in, let's kick off with uh, the IMDb summary. All right. Following a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event, only to have his worldview disrupted forever. Oh, that's one way of putting it. Have his worldview disrupted (laughs) forever. (laughs) It's actually like no small task to figure out how to write a summary for this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm impressed. Me too. I mean, it's a very, very long sentence with many, many words. They did it. They pulled it off. But it's reflective of the density of the movie. So I suppose it's fitting. Yeah, there's a lot. Okay, so let's start off with our one-sentence summaries. Sarah, what was yours for Asteroid City? Mine is a nesting doll of whimsy and world weariness. Ah, nice. All of the W's that we have. Yep. (laughs) My one-sentence summary is a whimsical thesis on the triumph of Tupperware. Nice. (laughs) Well done. All right. So how excited were you to watch this movie and that this movie is coming out? Uh, very excited. This <laughs> is the movie you were hoping would restore your faith in movies. It's true. It's true. <laughs> As here we are in like the beginning of the summer blockbuster season. Tell us, maybe let's start with both of our relationship to Wes Anderson movies in general. I think it's helpful context for all of our thoughts about Asteroid City that we'll dive into later. So Sarah, your thoughts about Wes Anderson? Uh, I love Wes Anderson movies. Uh, So just take everything that I say with a grain of salt because I think he's great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think there are some Wes Anderson movies where I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, this has broad appeal. Like I would recommend this to anybody to go see. And then there are other movies that I'm like, if you like Wes Anderson, you're going to like this movie. If you don't like Wes Anderson, you're not going to like this movie. So I'm, I am aware that I am part of the fan club and uh, that definitely colors how I receive his movies. Where does this movie fall, in your opinion, on that broad appeal spectrum? Uh, I would say if you like Wes Anderson, you'll like this movie. If not, you might not enjoy this as much. Interesting. Okay, interesting. What are movies of his that you feel like fall into the category of like this could – there's a broader audience for this? Um, I think something like like Moonrise Kingdom probably Mm, would fit into that camp. Um, And and maybe even something like Grand Budapest Mm. would fall into that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would not put Asteroid City in that camp. I think okay. this is more of a Wes Anderson fan club movie. <laughs> and then like French Dispatch is like all on the other side of the spectrum entirely. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking about while watching this movie is because French Dispatch we reviewed, oh gosh, two years ago, three years ago? I don't know. Mm, a year ago, right? Oh, it's only been a year? I think so. Oh, I'm bad with estimating time. Uh, and that is – it's it's this – there's a narrative structure and a cast of characters, whereas French Dispatch was such a collection of short stories. And th- there was a lot happening in that one as well compared to this one. So, okay, interesting. Um, I'll quickly share my relationship to Wes Anderson is I definitely haven't seen all of them. Um, I've seen about maybe half of them, maybe a little less than half. I think we've reviewed, mostly because we've reviewed a few of them on the podcast. And um, I can see, I can appreciate him intellectually. Uh, I can see why there's such a cult niche following of people that are just his biggest fans. Um, generally not my cup of tea, but 
it's always fascinating to unpack some of his movies and what he's doing. He's just such a breath of fresh air. It's just, just amazing that a filmmaker like him can create films that are funded and released in theaters and drawing an audience. So it's exciting to see what he does for film, the state of film today, which is always kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It is wild that there is a whole market of people who <laughs> go and yeah. see Wes Anderson movies. Like mm-hmm. it, it is kind of surprising that there's as much broad appeal for his movies as there is. Yeah, he's in that rare bracket of filmmaker that like will just draw a crowd because of his name and he's just developed just this loyal, faithful fan club of which you are a part of. Um, but he's in the he's in the ranks of like Tarantino and and Scorsese and Nolan of just like give him money. He will make something great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. People will happily go to see it mm-hmm. <laughs> with no other context. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, let's dive into our thoughts about Asteroid City. And uh, there's a lot that happens in this movie, so we will not spoil the ending. And uh, we will have full reign over the full film's events in our spoiler territory, which will come in the second half. So, Sarah, tell me your thoughts about Asteroid City. I am so curious. I'm just always, like, excited to hear you talk about Wes Anderson and your thoughts about things that he's created. But Tell me your thoughts about this one. Yeah, I I had a good good time with this. Uh, there is an aspect of this that I'm not fully sold on, but oh. yeah, on the whole, though, I had a I had a really good time with this, and it's just it's such a visual feast for the eyes that I absolutely love. It's just it's so gorgeous, and there are so many shots that I was just in awe of because they're so symmetrical, so beautifully balanced, like the use of negative space, like all of these artsy fartsy things, the color palette is stunning, like just visually had a great time. Um, And I really enjoyed uh, what they did with, with Augie's character. Uh, And I think that there's some really interesting things here about, about grief and how we process through grief and what that looks like in our lives. Um, And then I think there is just a bunch of other little themes and topics that this film touches on that I've just been kind of like thinking about ever since leaving the theater, things like, uh, you know, these, these small towns that exist, but have been like largely abandoned and like how people exist within them and, and, things like the the legacy that we leave and and where does creativity fit into all of that so there's just a lot from this movie that I've been thinking about since I watched it so yeah just had a good time would recommend primarily to Wes Anderson fans though yeah yeah it's it's incredibly dense I think that's a something that I felt most while watching this film compared to maybe some of the ones in the past I also will mention that this is the first Wes Anderson film uh theater going experience that I've had which I definitely think contributed to this being a a far more favorable experience for me you just you just are more able to be immersed into the magical little world that he's created. So I think that helps a lot versus like me watching at home in my living room surrounded by my very ordinary looking objects, you know, like there's just a cognitive dissonance that uh, is always present. Whereas when you're in a dark theater, you just get sucked into this magical little world. Um, I was just, I think the biggest thing that I walked away with the movie was how densely packed it is. There is, as you mentioned, so much, so many themes. There's there's commentary that he has in there around like the idea of theatricality and what it means to create uh, a production with that let nesting doll thing that you mentioned in your in your one sentence summary. Each character, honestly, I feel like could have its own dedicated storyline, and there's just so many characters with so many interesting quirks and backs little backstories some of which we get to know more of like with Augie and Midge and then others that are just kind of dancing across the screen in these little moments but there's there's still a lot there as well um 
so it's it's a feast for the eyes, but it's almost like a cognitive feast as well. And I feel like I need to like watch this like another five times to like really soak in and take in all of it. Um, there's there's just a lot. I think like the same way that I felt incredibly stimulated visually in everything everywhere all at once. I feel that way visually with this movie, but also cognitively. There's just so many themes to pick apart. Um, he's got both th- those themes at the micro scale for individual characters, but also at the macro scale around quarantining and governments and systems of power and control and like all of that is woven in there as well. So it's just, there's a lot. There's this like giant tapestry here to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. This thing is filled to the brim in every way possible. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely one that I I left the theater wanting to watch again for both visually and thematically, because I know that I missed stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's such an interesting feeling when you leave a theater feeling that way. Uh, Yeah. On one hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's really smart to potentially get people to like spend more money and like go see it again. Um, but it's also, I don't know, just, just an interesting feeling like, Hmm, I, mm-hmm. I need, I need more, more. I need more I need time to see it again. Yeah. 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 Cause there's a, there's a pace that he has in his, uh, filmmaking style that is also cr- incredibly quick. Like we don't dwell mm-hmm. in any emotional moment or in any little scene there's a rhythm and a constant marching forward in a storyline that that um and and there's just like more things to inhale as well I do think that um there's a level of of focus and coherence to Asteroid City that I really loved and appreciated uh that I didn't feel with the French Dispatch partially probably because it's a different type of narrative storytelling with these like short, short vignettes and, and chapters and whatnot. But even with some of the, his other films, I think that there's, there's sometimes so much going on that you, I, I feel personally, like I'm lost in a lot of the, the details and the, the overstimulation. There's a level of focus and unity and coherence in Asteroid City that I really, really loved and appreciated a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. So, so the thing that I didn't love about, well, I'm not sold on it is the, the story within a story thing. Oh, tell me more. I loved it visually because it's so different and it's so fun and you get to see these other mediums and these other creative outlets and I think that that's really like fun and interesting the different aspect ratio and the black and white and all of the things and like we learn information in those scenes that give us context for you know the in color play scenes but I I wonder if the movie could have been better served without that framing device to take us a bit deeper with the characters and the themes so that they could be explored a little bit more fully rather than just glossed over. Um, Mm. Because like, like we've been saying, it's so densely packed. I wonder if some of these things would have been more impactful and, and we would be able to, to, to better sit with them and take them in if we hadn't had that, framing device that took us out of the story and then plopped us back in Mm-mm. so you're thinking about it from the perspective of just like the amount of time that we have to spend practically across not just one world and like freaking a million characters in this one world but also then to see their actor or you know director selves in the outside world like we just don't have that much time you almost have like twice the amount of characters to invest in mm-hmm Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I I viewed that 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 framing device of we are in a play within a larger story as like a way to create distance from these characters um because we're watching a play rather than like viewing these as real people. And so the constant like in and out I think created distance at least for me 
And so then I was less engaged maybe. And I feel like the film too is, is maybe less engaged with some of these like emotional beats and things that I feel like if they were more deeply explored, then it could be maybe a better and more round, like well-rounded film as opposed to just like a creative cerebral experience, which is super fun. I had a great time with it, but I just, I think it was maybe in some ways lacking an, an emotional depth that I wanted. Granted, you're never going to get like this deep emotional thing with an S- Wes Anderson movie and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think I wanted a little bit more than this was, was giving me. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And and that's that's because of the like time constraints with characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What do you, tell me more about that sense of distance that you felt and how that that potentially changed or impacted the way that you engaged with the content when we're inside of the asteroid city world, the color world. Yeah, I think I was just more aware of it as like a like a play and Mm -hmm. so like I feel like the the film itself that like going back and forth was constraining for the actors in the film like the idea is to constrain that emotion to to keep like Augie for example he's he's very emotionally stunted not sure how to process through his grief Totally understand, totally relatable. Um, but I wish that there had been more opportunities with him to be vulnerable and like exploring that grief rather than like we're coming out and the actor is like, am I playing him right? What am I doing? Like to me, the exploration of grief is more interesting than this actor trying to figure out how to play this character. But maybe mm. that's just me. <laughs> I see, I see. Interesting. So you're like compelled by the character in in Asteroid City, <laughs> mm-hmm. more so than the the tension at play there. Yeah. Mm. It's so it's so funny though when when his resp- the response that he has is you're doing great. Like uh-huh. the fact that you don't understand is exactly what your character also doesn't understand. <laughs> it's like not yeah. even acting at that point. It's like oddly genuine. Like I don't <laughs> even know how to deal with this character's emotions. Yeah. Let alone the character doesn't know how to deal with their own emotions. Um, that I think that for for most of the film, I felt uh, you know it was just like an interesting visual device. There's some interesting commentary around the idea of putting out a production. When it really works for me though is when we have that moment, and it's kind of towards the end where the the actor who's playing Augie is like, my I I'm trying to have my heart broken personally as well with this character, and then we get that moment with um him talking to who would have played his uh wife who passed on that that's that um balcony, which was like just a beautiful shot by the way. That's like I'm gonna remember that one forever. Uh, but that emotional payoff worked. But I think it's a different movie had we explored the tension of. What does it mean to be an actor trying to play these roles? And I think we would have probably uh, spent more time in black and white world. And the film, I don't think is, it's not, that's not the primary focus. Like I'm thinking about the way that Birdman is structured, which is actually quite similar, which is that we are going back and forth between these actors in their green rooms, in their um, wardrobe dressing rooms and the behind the scenes. And then they're on stage and there's this like really interesting dialogue about the characters that they're playing and what they're searching for that is oddly resonant with what the actors themselves are actually searching for as well in real life and that tension is really interesting but again we only have like what three or five characters in that so it works we can go deeper in that there are so many in this that um you just you just don't have that much time to be able to invest in all of them in both their actor persona format and their, um, you know, production character format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so many people to keep track of. There's so many. That's the one, that's one of the things that, I mean, I, it, it's what makes the Wes Anderson film exciting is that we have this colorful cast of characters, but there are just so many. There are so many. I was... I was like, who? This person again. Okay, yes, here we are for like about 
half a scene and we won't see you again for the next 45 minutes. Just so many. <laughs> yep. Just it, it really feels like everyone is in this movie and I love that. Star studded. <laughs> that like and some of our industry's best talents, the cream of the crop. You know, they just show up for like half a scene. So willing to be in a Wes Anderson movie. It's incredible the amount of star power that he can command. And I think that's one of the really fun things about Wes Anderson movies is that like he has created this really like interesting culture where like people want to be attached to his movies. Genius. And like even like Brian Cranston has like said in interviews about this that it it's this familial atmosphere and like people are just hanging out and having a good time and yeah it's a lot of hard work but just that experience is worth it and actors want to attach themselves to his projects and it's always great it benefits us because we get to see this incredible cast uh even some of the best actors in in really small roles it's wonderful right here's margot robbie for about like four uh-huh. lines yeah. and then she is gone <laughs> yeah like, poof. and she does it phenomenally she like, does my yeah. goodness that was such an incredible scene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was a beautiful scene one of one of the most oddly emotional and and time spent as well that was the other noteworthy thing about that scene is the time we spend just holding the camera in that moment and the, the letting those feelings sink into this actor who's playing Augie. Rare, rare in a Wes, Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's no movement. Like you're just, yeah. you're stationary with these two people on fire escapes, just talking. I mean, really it is a, a Margot Robbie monologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's fantastic and you'll get like another angle maybe but man nobody's moving around there's not a bunch of things going on visually yeah you're just in it in Mm -hmm. black and white which just seems so uh noteworthy to recognize those moments where he chooses to linger like there's something significant that he wants to land in this moment because we're going to give his precious, precious screen time, which this movie's only like an hour and 42 minutes, which is incredible. We love to see it. Um, but there's a solid couple of minutes of precious minutes spent there. Yeah. Okay, let's include a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Asteroid City, we recommend checking it out in theaters. It is available out in theaters right now uh, before you continue to listen to this episode. Okay, where where should we go? No. Where do you want to go? I don't know. There's so many places to go. <laughs> there are. There are. Um I think did we fully unpack the the thing that you 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 wished was different. And I think it was the the nesting doll nature of this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. that's that's fine. We can we can move on from the nesting doll. Okay. Okay. Um, let's talk about Augie's character since we were just talking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of processing grief. You'd mentioned that as something that was very compelling in this film. And I think it's it's probably the strongest um, and largest foundational theme for most of the events that are happening. And I think we sp- honestly, like from pure calculation of runtime, spend the most time with that character with that storyline with the children tell me more about like your thoughts about the way that the film chose to unpack that and what it what it is potentially you know commenting on yeah i think the the character of augie is indicative of one of the things that i really love about wes anderson movies like yes they're gorgeous they're symmetrical they're blah 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 but the the characters within this incredibly bright beautiful whimsical world yes they are quirky they're unusual but there's also like a depth to them and they're usually dealing with something hard like in Augie's case there's this grief that he has that is weighing him down 
but he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know how to move forward. And I, I love that a movie like this, a character like this can, can illustrate, you know, these very real things that we all grapple with as human beings, but they just happen in this really whimsical, beautiful world. And I just, I think that that contrast is just so fun. Um, and I, I love that there's, there's so much humor as he's also dealing with all of these things. So like the fact that he waited three weeks before telling his children that their mother is dead, um, utterly ridiculous and funny, but at the same time is illustrative of this whole, like, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to respond to this him keeping his wife's ashes in a Tupperware container that they carry around. (laughs) So good. But also is this like, oh my gosh, like, what do you do? How do you keep moving forward? Um, I I think that there's so many interesting things that they do with Augie that are, are, are really smart and witty, but also have this like grounding in reality and, and the difficulties that we all face as human beings. And I, I really enjoyed his character in particular in this. There's also just such an earnestness to him that um, you kind of immediately are drawn to. I think there's like a moment uh, towards maybe the somewhere in the middle where I think Woodrow is asking like, were you planning to leave us? And he just is like smoking a cigarette. He's like, yes. But I mm-hmm. decided against it. You know, like there's a there's a clarity in in his willingness to be honest <laughs> that I think is res- it's just admirable and respectable. While uh, at the same time, there is this self delusion that is also at play there, and the battle between those two things. Like when of the things that he has realized about himself, he can communicate clearly on. But if he hasn't realized those things yet, there's no way for him to communicate. That is just like such an interesting trait about who we are as humans, like the the process of self-discovery and understanding and all of the complexities within ourselves is 90% of the battle of just like maturing and growing older. And um, I thought that the relationship that he has with uh, Bill Murray's character as well, of him being kind of this older figure to kind of push him and nudge him along in this process of grieving sometimes harshly but it's kind of the the nudge that he needs um so from the very beginning we see that bill murray's character is the one that tom is like you need to tell your kids you know like there's there's a sense of tough love there that i thought was really fascinating as well of the older generation seeing and understanding and having walked that path before but also recognizing like at some point you just you just need that little nudge yeah, and I, I love that opening conversation where they're saying the same thing, but they're using different words. And like you can feel the distance between these two characters. And it's all illustrated, not only with how it's like framed, you know, the the split screen and they're both doing different things, but also in the language that they use. Like like one of them saying the time isn't right, and then the other one saying, you know there's never going to be a good time. Like they're saying the same thing, but using different verbiage and like talking Mm. past each other. Mm -hmm. And so like, you can tell like, oh my gosh, there's so much history here. There's so much uh, like distance between the two of them, even though they're mourning the loss of the same person, the way that they communicate, they're not actually connecting. Uh, And we see that kind of all throughout the film until the end, they're, they're finally able to, to communicate a little bit better and and be more open and honest with one another. But I loved those exchanges between those two characters where they just, they don't see eye to eye and they're, they're struggling with it, which again, is a very real human thing that we all deal with from time to time where we're communicating, but we're not actually understanding each other. Mm, yeah, and it's such a contrast to the conversations and interactions that he has with Midge, which I thought all of those were so fascinating. There is this this sense of like a kindred spirit that they see in each other. Um, there's a like a vulnerability of uh, their 
their thoughts, their perspectives, their their past lives that they're able to share um, in this like really like interesting dynamic. And that is, you can see the way that that softens Augie and opens him up with Midge's ability to communicate so clearly about her past and her relationship with her family and her mother and all this kind of stuff. It allows space for him to process all of his difficult, confusing, also um, hard to understand emotions. Like there's a place now where he can kind of let it all hang out there, put it on the table and begin to process through it. And she's through that connection that they have, they're able to, they're able to open up that space for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I loved when they were uh, rehearsing that, that scene and he was not doing it well. She's like, use your grief, use that. Um, Which I also thought was just such a, a smart, smart way to include that. And, and even, you know, commentating on, on, it's so funny. Like she's playing an actor who's playing an actor in a film. Like there's like layers to it, but the way that, that actors have to, to work and give so much of themselves, but like also pull from their own experiences and then use that to entertain us is another kind of interesting thing to, to think about with all of this. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. One of those moments where that nesting doll piece helps or works works a little bit better um, for that character specifically. Um, she was just, I mean, ScarJo is just like like illuminated on screen. Mm-hmm. By the way, just like looks stunning, absolutely beautiful. But I think the the clarity of the way she's able to communicate about her thoughts, perspectives, that sense of conviction um, is compelling and is such a uh, force that you're drawn to as a viewer but you can also then empathize with Augie who is just kind of like drawn to like you just want to be around her hear her talk and there is a there's just a a sense of confidence and a flair and a conviction and clarity about her own emotions that is just um contagious or you just want to be around it and I think that that is like a pretty fascinating aspect of his grief journey like seeing people that have walked through that and and achieved acceptance and um have come to terms with it and now wielding it for whatever they need um I think that's that's a it's he's able to see someone that's walked that path before him which I think also is a key part of his own grief journey Mm. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. And I even think like, because he, in some areas is very self assured. And then in other areas seems to not be. And so I, I think that's probably also part of it of, wow, how are you this confident? How are you this sure in yourself and who you are? Uh, when he seems to be, he's on kind of like unsteady ground at that point and she is rock solid in who she is so I think that's mm-hmm. another interesting dynamic between those two as well mm-hmm. yeah and you can see in a lot of their interactions the way that she kind of owns and leads the conversations um there is a there's a sense of uh just conviction that she is marching forward or asking him questions or declaring something at him you know and you see him kind of like oh okay yes like okay yes there's a there's an interesting um for lack of a better term power dynamic that you see at play there with the level of confidence and conviction that she brings to the table which is kind of fun to see because it's such a contrast to the way that he is around bill murray's character or around his children just such such a difference there there's a softness to him that he's able to allow be seen and you see him turn that off when he's in front of his kids Mm, mm-hmm. which those little girls were so cute oh my gosh, and they yes. give you such a run for your money like I love when that unsuspecting waitress is like what do you princesses want I'm a vampire I'm a mummy yes. <laughs> not princesses oh they were so cute and they and then 
them trying to bring their mother back to life. Oh my gosh, it was so good. And then refusing to allow the Tupperware to be moved. Yes. Uh, amazing. And then, Bill like, Murray's character like, okay, well, I hope there aren't any wolves that are going to dig this up <laughs> before we uh, come back for it tomorrow morning. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the all of the the kids at their different ages in this film feel incredibly intentionally designed. You know, like I think it's significant, for example, that Woodrow, a little bit older than the girls, clearly voices that he sensed his mother's passing for many weeks now, but just, you know, hadn't come to terms with it. It wasn't confirmed yet. But the difference in the way that the girls react versus the way that Woodrow reacts is I think also telling of like, kids that are in that you know like preteen or teenage phase they know a lot they are smart they are intuitive and their ability to process these things is a lot like larger than we give them credit for whereas you see that the way that the little girls react and it is so childlike um but i just thought we we almost see a full spectrum of generations in this movie we have the little girls we have the teenagers uh that are that have won the awards as part of this asteroid city conference we see the like younger adults and then we see the older generation and we so we we really do have a diverse spectrum of people and perspectives across all ages and the different ways that they react to many of the situations i thought that was really interesting mm-hmm and and even within that, like, you have so many, you know, because, like, the, the teenagers are also these geniuses who are, who are here. And, and, you know, you have diversity amongst the little kids, too. Like, some who are interested in science. And then the girls who are just silly, goofy, creative girls. Yeah, wanting to yeah. be vampires and mummies. Uh, so I just, I loved the just the spectrum of characters that you get here you know you got you got scientists you got government officials you got this you know owner of this motel situation you you just have everything in this and it's just it's fun to see and imagine how all of these different people uh would react to so many crazy things happening in this one movie in this one little tiny town yeah, and I think what's fascinating about his films are is that are that each one is given even the small characters are given their s- small moments where there's so much to unpack. <laughs> you know, like in a typical film, we have our central one or a few characters that we're really diving into and and there's a lot of side characters that are there to serve a purpose or they're there for like background color, but Every little scene, little detail, little short shot where the camera dwells for just 10 seconds before you like zip off and it's moving on to the next one feels so significant. The example that I'm thinking about that I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to dwell on this, but like I don't have time to right now is there's a scene where that kid, I don't remember his name because there's again so many characters, but the kid that is always doing like big stunts because he is trying to prove himself. He's like jumping off of the roof of the building or, you know, just trying to do crazy, silly things. I think there's a moment where someone asks him, like, why do you do that? And he voices something along the lines of like, I just feel afraid and want to prove that I'm not and also want to prove that I'm like significant. Like that small, it lasts maybe like 30 seconds, if that. But I'm like, wow, this one character alone, this one human being, there's so much there to unpack and this film again takes that and multiplies it by 20 30 characters like that so there's just there's just so much depth in a a a array honestly a community of people where every person feels so worthwhile and significant it's just we don't have enough attention for it all i don't uh but i'm in I'm just in awe of his ability to give these just such human, uh, human-like moments to even the smallest of characters. It's very impressive. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All of these characters are, all of them are well thought through and all of them have their own quirks and things that they, they bring to the table, motivations, fears, all of the jazz. Uh, and I just, I love that because it, I mean, that takes so much time that takes so much effort to invest all of that in in all of these characters. And I think that's something else that I love about Wes Anderson movies is that he's willing to do it the right way, even if it costs more money, even if it costs more time. He's he's willing to do it. And we see that in his characters, the way that he thinks through all of them and and makes sure that they are more fully developed when it would have been way easier to just develop three to six characters if you're doing a lot and then just let everybody else be colorful background filler uh but nope everybody gets something to do everybody has something important to contribute and that makes it right right like the attention to detail in all of the production set pieces it's the same level of attention to detail that he has for even the smallest of characters too which is why it's just an incredibly stimulating experience, sometimes overstimulating for me personally. Mm-hmm. No, it, it it's totally so much. is. It's, it's drinking out of a fire hydrant oh, or fire yes. hose, whatever. You're yeah. drinking out of something that's way too fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that one little line that he said yeah. like three scenes ago. I'm still <laughs> thinking about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. That's why I want to go watch it again. Because I know that there are little Mm -hmm. things that I missed because I was trying to get it all. This is probably the way that, like, the uber Nolan fans feel about all of the Easter eggs that he's hidden in, too. You know? They're like, ooh, let me watch it another ten times to find all of the little details. (laughs) You're rewarded for your effort. You're rewarded for the repeat watching. It is not something that can wash over you. You really can sink in with it and find more things. It's so layered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the best. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the fact that this is a sci-fi movie. Let's talk about the whole alien invasion. That's not really an invasion. It's the most – it's the sweetest little alien encounter ever. Um, And then some of the plot details that unfold around the government swooping in, the quarantine. Tell me your thoughts on that and how that worked for you, what you think that the film is, is looking to do with that. I think it's just so funny that this is a sci-fi film and that there's an alien. <laughs> it's so good. The and most beautiful UFO I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. It's just the, so funny. The array of, like, the, it's a prism underneath yes. there. It's yes. just gorgeous. I also think it's funny that we recently, I guess it was last summer, we got Jordan Peele's version of an alien and then this summer we get Wes Anderson's version of an alien so I'm like okay like what creative auteur is going to take on aliens next and how is that going to look different because we got ribbons and flowy fabric and now we have a prism (laughs) so you know how there's um New York stories where they got like I think four of some of the great directors Scorsese was one of them I forget there's another one I think might have been um and they just created different short stories <laughs> uh, set in New York City. We need that, but alien invasion version. Like, what does a Scorsese inv- mm-hmm. alien invasion look like? What does a PTA alien invasion <laughs> look like? What does a David Fincher, you know? That'd be great. Well, I mean, we've already got some good, good entries. Yeah. So maybe this is just happening organically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I really... So the part that I enjoyed is that they ended up in a quarantine, which again, like there's so much to unpack there. Um, But what I really kind of was thinking about and took away from it is like with Augie's character, sometimes when you're, you're processing through grief, you get stuck and like all of the uncertainties that he's feeling, all of that, like he is emotionally stuck And then he gets physically stuck. And I just thought that that was such an interesting thing to see that 
his his physical presence matched his emotional state and then finally once he started to make like emotional breakthroughs then he was finally able to leave so it was this nice like parallel of the physical and his emotional state and so I thought that that uh was just really fun and a really nice little emotional moment in a Wes Anderson film okay so remember when you said you weren't good at metaphors and symbolism I think not but I got that one I think I found the favorable circumstances for this. It's Wes Anderson anything. It well, really activates it in you. It's true. You are I, – yeah, I didn't pick up on that at all, but it's such a fabulous point. But <laughs> I know Wes that Anderson I really does it for you. <laughs> there's a lot of other ones where I'm like, there's a metaphor there. I don't know what it is, but I got this one. I think it's the only one that I got. <laughs> But put you in a Wes Anderson movie and, you know, the juices are flowing. They are flowing great. You know, you, a broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) And I feel like that's how I am with metaphors. Oh my gosh. I love it. Meanwhile, I am like, like just KO'd out on the floor. Like, oh my gosh, there's too many details. That's fair. (laughs) There are too many details. It's true. Um, but yeah, that's a fabulous point. I love that. I love that. I just think it's it's such an intentional choice given everything that we've all endured and been through. And it's an interesting perspective about the 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 government and their choices and the fact that it's, you know, like a high school newspaper that is the one that like leaks the news or brings the truth to light. Um, there's just there's like an interesting hopefulness, I think, in like the idea of the next generation being passionate about truth that is kind of exciting and hopeful to me. Again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that just felt um, so fascinating. And also it's like through traditional news source medium. So like another interesting choice um, for this filmmaker who clearly loves the tactile and, and the conventional and all that kind of stuff. So um I just thought that the way that this movie chose to handle any idea of a quarantine um, seems like such uncanny commentary on uh, just their perspectives on governments and their roles and how they handle like moments of crises. It's very fascinating. Also, I think the other detail around like everyone in the community assumes that the alien vision is um, hostile to begin with. And then we see that that is corrected later on when the alien just bloop, drops the little asteroid bath to return it. Like just, I mean, there's a, there's a level of caution that makes sense, but this idea of like we immediately demonize the other or whoever is deemed as other is also just kind of like interestingly woven into this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point that, that, that distancing that we just naturally do of, oh, they're not like us, so they must be bad. That's, mm-hmm. that's a big one to, to think on. I also loved when the alien shows up and it's so scared and is just staring at everybody like deer in the headlights, totally terrified, as are everyone in the audience. And I just, I loved the way visually that communicated just so much of mm-hmm. we're both scared of each other we're both unsure of each other and then the alien just picks up the asteroid and then whoop, goes away it was ugh, it was so good it's so funny but it's so meaningful all in one and then returns it with a little bloop oh, it's so good <laughs> with a note awesome. on it yeah yeah also the cutest alien that has ever been in movies ever probably wow Get a little little figurine of that and put it on the desk. <laughs> oh, Hello. I am Hello. sure. Just you wait for the Asteroid City merch. Oh, there's so much good content here. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I would personally like a little ramp that says this ramp leads to nowhere. <laughs> it's it's so good. Like again, like I think it's such a funny and quirky thing to include but I also like it had me thinking about things like government planning and Mm -hmm. you know like how resources are are allocated to to towns and stuff that I I just think is 
is is something that's worth chewing on and that's all because of an unfinished ramp that's in the middle of the town Mm -hmm. that's fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's just there's so much in here like the other the other detail around the kid geniuses um using their inventions and innovations to figure out how to communicate out and get the truth out like all of that like them wielding their technology not just for the sake of this competition and to win the prize but it is now functional is also just really fascinating i loved the little montage if you want to call it a montage i don't know it might not be called a montage but where they're all introducing <laughs> their awards with their little inventions and their their one-liners around like other like applicable sources of the the ways they can use it. it was just it was so good it was so good little moments like that I loved yeah and everybody got a different medal yeah you know one girl gets a sash the other one gets a crown like I just uh I loved it so it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous and so creative all rolled up into one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah Okay, um, other things that we want to talk about with Asteroid City? Uh, I think something that's kind of interesting that I've also been thinking about is this memory game that the kids, the geniuses were were playing together. And just Yeah, about, what do you make of that? I, it, I've been thinking about, like, the legacy that we, we leave. Um, you know, I only knew, like... I knew Cleopatra and that was like the only mm. name that I knew that yeah, they said. Yeah. I don't even know if they were real people. They could have been made up people. I thought I they were know. made up people until they were like, no, it has to be a real person. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Time for me to go Google some people. <laughs> right. But yeah. like, you know, thinking about these, these people who have made such big contributions to mm. our world and they're known to only a few. And yet, like, all of us reap the benefits of, mm. and sometimes the consequences, let's be honest, um, of their actions. And so it's just, I don't know, that has me thinking about about legacy and, and what are we creating and what are we going to be known by to future mm. generations after we are mm. gone, you know? And these incredible things that were created and, and maybe people who were lauded in their own time uh, are now a parlor trick or, yeah. you know, a game for kids to play. Mm. I don't know. It's interesting. That we as the audience, like, don't even know of. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 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 Well, and also the concept of, like, who is remembered and why. Like, what systems of um, mm-hmm. narrative and storytelling and and um, exposure that they receive that inevitably others don't get the opportunity to receive and who makes those choices. Yeah. All of that is incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts about where, like in light of a lot of Wes Anderson's other work, where does this fall in being one that's close to your heart versus one that you're like, glad I saw this one. Um, where does this fall? Or do you feel like you need more time also? It's another factor. No, I, I think this is probably like middle for me. Um, maybe like the high part of middle, but I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I don't think that this is going to become a favorite of mine. Uh, I do want to watch it again though, but I, yeah, I, I would put this in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Um, didn't usurp any of the other ones that were at the top tier, but no. squarely solid, solid yeah. Wes Anderson a entry. Solid entry. His An enjoyable film. entry, but mm-hmm. not, not a fave. Okay. 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 Any other last thoughts about Asteroid City before you wrap? Uh, I would like to just extend a shout out to Pluto. Uh, that was included as a planet because this play within a story took place in the 50s and so Pluto is still considered a planet which it sadly is no longer considered a planet anymore and so shout out to Pluto you are still a planet in some of our hearts (laughs) (laughs) see 
there's so many things that happen in this movie that <laughs> the whole subplot of the teacher and the cowboy dude, like that's a whole thing. And the, the, the like, uh, the willingness to ask questions of that class mm-hmm. of like, why, mm-hmm. why are we not talking about aliens? Like you're teaching me things. You're teaching me facts, but like this big thing just happened. Why are we not talking about it? Like that in and of itself, again, another little vignette that I could chew on for so long, but it's, it's just one other little side button in this larger story of many, many interactions and events happening. But yeah, that was, that was a great little scene. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that the teacher, even though she's like, she's frustrated, she doesn't know what to do. She's stuck in this quarantine with all of these kids. There's constantly asking questions. Like she's very clearly stressed. Uh, And yet she, continued to just respond to the kids with such grace and Mm -hmm. and kindness and as they're asking incessant questions which kids always do she didn't get like frustrated or angry with them she continued Mm -hmm. to answer the questions as best as possible and then tried to Mm -hmm. go on with her lesson plan oh it was just so good I'm like man shout out to all the teachers who have to answer 500 questions a day mm, from all of mm-hmm. these kids and continue to do it with such kindness and care. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredible. And I just love the, like the natural curiosity of kids and their desire, yes. the demand for <laughs> answers. Like yeah, she's not fooling anyone by trying to ignore the events, the dramatic events that just transpired the previous day of the alien coming to visit, you know, like, the kids are not dumb. They have their questions and they're going to ask them and they're going to make sure that either you get an answer or you get a deflection of an answer. But the the overflowing of curiosity and the desire and search for answers is just – I was on the kid's side. I'm like, yeah, why are we learning about the solar system? Well, we just got visited by an alien, you know? Um, it's It's endearing to see. It's endearing to see. The children in his movies are often so mm-hmm. full of life and 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 pure hearted in a way that I think is is um such a hopeful outlook on the next generation, even the teenagers, you know. Well, and that that also makes me think of like the different ways that we respond to the unknown. You know, mm-hmm. she is trying to keep together sticks to what she knows, you know, in the midst of the uncertainty and the kids are asking questions and they, they want to discover more. They want to investigate more. You know, I, I think there's probably something interesting that we could learn from all of the characters based on how they, they are reacting to what is unknown in, in their world. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's probably a lot there that can be explored as well that I hadn't thought of before. Well, even in – I don't remember the exact details, but even in that little um, school lesson t- scene, there are two kids that have differing questions and differing perspectives that kind of um, are able to healthily, like, talk with each other or they raise their opinions. Like, it's the kid with the the red hair, whom I loved. <laughs> and there's another one. I think it was, like, one of the girls who was, like, kind of countering his perspective and, and having this this interesting – little back and forth so even the children themselves are not the same in how they're reacting to this like big dramatic thing that has happened yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and the the fun and the beauty that comes with having those kind of dialogues and different perspectives and Mm -hmm. asking questions in a group and having a conversation rather than just you know one-on-one or different ways of learning yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Well, this is our review and discussion of Asteroid City. I always love hearing you gush about Wes Anderson. It's always my favorite. So this is fun. Uh, you can find Asteroid City available out in theaters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories. Everyone is welcome here, and we're so glad you hung out with us today. You can subscribe to this 
podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about Asteroid City. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at MoviesInUsPod or email us at MoviesInUsPod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week. 